The Charles Adler Show starts now. So she is the star of TV on Canada's West Coast. She's a national correspondent in this country for Al Jazeera. Uh, she is also in one of my old uh, stomping grounds at uh, CKNW in uh, Vancouver and uh, doing uh, syndicated uh, radio for, for cars. And I'm just, uh, you know, it's just tip of the iceberg. If I did the whole resume that could choke a horse, it would take us a long time. So without any doing that, without any further ado, let's bring on my old friend, uh, Jody Vance. Jody, uh, welcome. Thank you. And that would be top billing for me. Charles Adler's friend. You've always been so kind to me. Thank you. You want to talk about some of the print stuff you do? Because I don't want to give people the impression that you only do a lot of TV and a lot of radio. You know what? I'd been working for the Orca. I've been doing a weekly column for the Orca.ca for five years up until the time that it was sold. And I haven't been doing it since. So mostly I have been just broadcasting and really focusing in on Steel and Vance on check. Okay. Uh, Steel and Vance is the name of the, uh, the TV show uh, seen in, in much of Western Canada. And it's uh, based on based at a victorious, even though you're in Vancouver, uh, it's based at a, at a, at a, at an outlet out of Victoria, CFAX. Is that right? It is Czech news, uh, Czech media, and it's, it's North America's only employee owned media outlet. That's steel and Vance. And so let's, uh, let's give a plug to my other friend and then we'll get into all of this. And that would be Linda Steele, uh, Linda Steele, who's uh, known to many people who are listening to this uh, podcast. Uh, many people uh, know her out of Edmonton and Vancouver, where she has done a tremendous amount of uh, local TV and radio. So, Jody Vance, uh, one of the reasons I'm, I'm bringing you on uh, today is because of what you've been doing lately on, on social media, Twitter, and elsewhere on this business about parental rights. I guess people hear that phrase, those two words, parental rights. And it's so benevolent. I mean, frankly, it's it's like hearing pro-life. How could how how could pro-life be a problem? How could parental rights be a problem? That's our our first question for the conversation. How is parental rights a problem? When parental rights are politicized, it's a problem. When the term parental rights becomes about more than um, advocating on behalf of your child. It's a problem. And there are some serious, um, I don't even know what the right word is. I'm just going to say bigots who have (laughs) hijacked that term and decided to point it at kids who identify differently, perhaps, than those casting the aspersions. And it makes me more than just a little bit upset. I'm the mother of a 15-year-old. I wish I had had a house full of children. I suffered multiple miscarriages before having um, my son via IVF. I very much um, love my role as a parent. So I take parenting very seriously. uh, And I I struggle with those who wish to um, dictate what teachers should do Based on headlines and clickbait and politicization, there are so many tentacles to this opening question, Charles. I I struggle to to find a place to end my thought. But as the daughter of a teacher and, and a cousin of a teacher and a niece of a teacher, I mean, for people to step forward and say that SOGI123 is grooming children, 
people have not looked at Soji one, two, three, the way I have, because it came on board when my son was in elementary school and I attended the meetings to understand what Soji one, two, three is. And that is, that is a toolkit for teachers to help children who come to them with no other outlet to, and, and to share that they identify differently or that they're being bullied in a way that they don't understand or that they aren't heard at home. And my dad, as a teacher, saw a lot of children who had very uncomfortable, if not abusive, home lives. Um, and, and teachers are there to, to check on, on kids like that. And so the politicization of the term really pisses me off. So there are many parents, because I know they've corresponded with me as well, uh, who say that um, it is school's job, um, the school's job to teach math, and teach uh, English, reading, writing, arithmetic, however you want to frame it. It is not the school's job to, and here's the word, indoctrinate on some sort of, uh, you know, gender uh, ideology. It is not the school's job uh, to tell Johnny or Janie that they may not be Johnny and Janie. They may, they may be something else. Some of the, some of these parents seem genuinely confused and they are genuinely angry when they get told by some of the leaders of the, I guess, parental rights movement that uh, some children are encouraged to think about having uh, their genitals removed. I'm just using words that, that I'm getting in my correspondence, having their, their genitals removed. Um, you know, parents see something like that and yeah, some of them, no doubt, freak out. If it were true that kids were having their genitals removed at school, I'd be freaking out. It's just not true. It's disinformation. It's like the it's like the screaming south of the border with Roe versus Wade that the reason that it should be uh, a politician's choice what a woman does with her body because women are getting abortions in the third trimester with nine months and they're killing their babies. That's not actually happening. <laughs> That's not. It's like. Children are not learning to become um, what members of the LGBTQ2S plus community at school. They're learning about themselves at school and they're socializing at school and they're they're becoming themselves at school. And parents, many parents want to control their kill, children, excuse me. Many parents want to control their children well beyond where children can be controlled. And this is a late grab for some who don't like the way uh, Johnny and Janie are growing. And, and often is the case with people who are projecting uh, this disinformation and misinformation on the school system are people who are intolerant in their home and oftentimes might have kids who were born gay and they hate it. Or they're projecting that they have covered up and closeted their true selves and can't stand to see others live their freedom. It's just, it's wild. The fear, Charles, I don't understand the fear. Jody, let me just ask a question that has nothing to do with teachers, just uh, our healthcare system. Okay. If, if someone is going to have serious surgery, like transition surgery. Okay. Can that, can that be done in this country? Uh, will, will doctors, will hospitals do that kind of surgery? without contacting the parent? I mean, does that actually happen? Not unless the child is over the age of consent of their own, right? 
I mean, there, there comes an age with your child, you can no longer follow them into their doctor's office, period, right? There's a, there's a moment in your life as a parent where you have to let your child become the person that they were born to be. You know, my, my parents uh, have ideas of how I should live my life. They're very proud of me. I'm very lucky for that. But they can't tell me what to do now. If I was going to have some major surgery of any kind, I would, of course, tell my mom because I love my mom. But not everybody has a relationship with their mom like I do. So it's sometimes the parents that don't have that relationship with their their child. And I use the term child as you gave birth to that human. Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes they're adults. No, the answer is no, that children in Canada cannot have uh, transition hormones or surgeries that come much later in a, in a transition. To my understanding, I certainly am no expert on the subject, but none of that begins without parents being involved in the conversation at some level. I just get, I get, keep getting these dramatic scenarios and, you know, I'm just no different than you in this business. We're all told if someone is uh, giving you something that's uh, fairly dramatic and maybe something that's very difficult to believe, ask them for some example, ask them for a specific story instead of I read somewhere, uh, some people say and all that, you know, kind of the way Trump talks all the time. So when I ask, can you provide me with an example? Can you give me facts? The answer is always this is what I read on Facebook. Uh, this is what a neighbor of mine told me. And, you know, un unfortunately or fortunately, uh, in the real world, if you're a professional and you're taking down a story and your job is perhaps to repeat the story, it's your job to find out whether or not the story has any substance. And I, I, I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing of hospitals doing uh, those kinds of surgeries on 12-year-old on boys or girls. And that's why I, I fail to see the, the drama. Well, the hysteria serves as a great wedge issue, right? I mean, what are all the things we're not talking about while we're talking about the mythical, um, you know, protect the children from the evils of uh, trans people or drag queens? You know, how about we're not having, uh, why are we not having conversations about um, real crimes that are being exposed in the church, for example? Um, you know, we talk a lot about... Uh, sparkly things um and and other stories get buried and and for example the people that want to deny what's been now confirmed in residential schools and and what more and more the stories and the the recounting truths that were given and offered by first nations and indigenous peoples across this country that nobody believed or they just were like well that's that's just another thing and they're just talking about that whatever how about we have a little bit of of, of urgency around that story, not just when um, possible unmarked graves are identified, you know, and people are like, well, they're not graves. It's like, well, that, that, that thousands of children went missing and now there are unmarked uh, possible graves uh, across this country. But we're going to talk about the trans children that because they're they're going to school and they can identify with a different pronoun. It just seems so disconnected to me that that one in one is concerned so much about a maybe and the other is almost like standing before you in truth. And we're spending all of our time on the one that's a maybe. By the way, uh, you know, one can get uh, caught up and quote what what people say. And the latest, of course, is the anti-trans stuff. But do you get the impression it's it's the same people marketing this stuff? I mean, the same people who are marketing the anti-vax and then marketing a convoy and just F Trudeau 
in general are the, the same people who are marketing this stuff. I mean, do you, do you get the impression that this is just another sparkly thing on the shelf? Do you get the impression? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can tell you because many of them land in my inbox unsolicited because they're also coming at me because I shouldn't have an opinion or what do I know? Or you're just a libtard, snowflake, socialist, Bolshevik, whatever today's term rumor. is, right? And a it's, rumor. That's and the latest. a rumor. And a yeah. rumor. Yeah. Because I care enough to say that's not true. Yeah. And the kids are all right. Uh, I have one and I have his circle of friends and he does I identify as a he him. And if he didn't, I'd be OK with that. I'd be OK with that. You know, I also his uncles uh, are a married couple, uh, two men who have been an incredible example of love in his life. Um, we have I stood up at Drex's wedding last summer, this a year ago now. Um, and Brady asked to attend because he's like, I want to be there when when they're getting married. It's normal for them. They don't freak out about it. It's you know what? The, this generation of people that are freaking out about stuff that don't need to be freaked out about um, will be irrelevant in, in a decade because the, the next generation coming up is looking at it in a whole different way, Charles. And I'm I'm very pleased to report that the kids are all right. And the kids who are identifying uh, as as not the body that they were born into that do pivot and, and, and make the transition and, and young adults who ultimately perhaps have the surgery, the, the two that I've been around over the last five years in one case and 10 in the other, neither have had any kind of surgery, but the day that they identified as their true selves, they became exponentially happier people. That's my not, experience with not, this. They're just not, happier. Not, not, be, being yourself. Um, just, just saying out a, loud that I don't feel right in this body. I was born a little girl and I never felt right in that body as a little girl. And this little girl is now uh, identifying just by cutting hair shorter and dressing in different clothes. That's all that changed. And that that human being probably is alive today where they wouldn't have been before. It is true, uh, and I'm not saying this because I want to, you know, introduce negative content, uh, but the suicide rate among people who are not comfortable in their own bodies is uh, scary high. Yeah. You want to save children? Let them be who they want to be, right? There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that can convince me that loving who you love is evil. There's nothing that can convince me otherwise. I, I just don't understand. Maybe it's because I grew up in a family where I saw that at the youngest of ages. I have close first cousins who from birth I knew were gay. I didn't even know what gay meant, but I knew that my cousin Cindy was gay. She's an out proud gay woman who's married to a woman. And Cindy wouldn't be any different than, than Cindy is today ever. And thankfully, our family was one that was like, great. <laughs> Are you happy? Best wedding I've ever been to. Jody, uh, I don't know whether it'll uh, make some people uh, happier, but it, it seems that the parental rights people who wanted to have marches all over the country, it seems to me that they were outnumbered significantly, especially the part of the country you're in, in Vancouver. They were really outnumbered by uh, the other other crowd. Does that represent reality in Canada? Are, are the people who want to push back against this, do they significantly outnumber 
those who are pushing parental rights. Yes. Yes. It just, it, it's who we are. It's who we are in this country. I believe it. The loudest and meanest and nastiest bullhorn obscenity screaming at Vladimir Zelensky as he's walking in a dignitary who's whose country is literally under siege 24 7 365 for way too long by the way uh has somebody on a blowhorn yelling obscenities because they hate the prime minister guess what the majority of the country is looking at that guy and saying you there's a problem with you and the and the, the marchers who are bigots about this the people that are just evil about this um, the rest of the country is starting to say, listen, okay, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say, if you have a problem, you can have a problem. You can protest, but don't come after children. Don't attack. Don't attack in this way. It's unhealthy for our country. If you want to change the government, you can on voting day. That's how we roll. That's what happens in Canada. The divisiveness we're seeing south of the border is very difficult to process for many people. And I, I, the disinformation and misinformation that is spread on social media and through some uh, rather underground uh, outlets, I hesitate to call them news, um, indoctrinates people. You want to talk indoctrination, it's that, you know, fight against the fake. It's difficult, Charles. It's difficult. Now... More with Charles Adler. So unlike you, I, I didn't grow up uh, a son of, of teachers, but uh, because I ran away to the circus called uh, radio rather early and I was uh, involved uh, from the time I was 18, I've always heard a lot of negative and certainly on email, you know, got a lot of negative email about uh, teachers. So there, I don't, I don't think that there's a teacher alive that doesn't have some people um, who thinks that he or she are in, involved in, in some sort of pernicious uh, process to, uh, you know, brainwash their children. That, that's been around for a long time. It just seems much more difficult right now for the average teacher, whether it's at the public school level, private school, uh, university level. So I, I want you to help me with this. Why, why is, I'll just call it the, the far right. Why are the far right uh, picking on anyone with an education, especially anyone with an education, who's in the education business. What's that about? Oh, well, I think that's, I mean, we can, we can look at history and understand why. Uh, you dumb down the electorate. Okay. You disengage people. Uh, easier to manipulate with propaganda. Easier to feed them a, a steady diet of, of what they should believe as opposed to what's true. Um, right now we're seeing it across the board. It's let's, let's, trim back the educators let's trim back the scientists let's you know let's make people fearful of standing in the way of what they know to be wrong uh, to stand up for the others around them because it might be dangerous suddenly uh, everybody is feeling the effects of of that and i believe that i don't know that there's like one puppet master to all of this but there is definitely a concerted effort to back up the progress that has been made in a generation of people who have decided, you know what, we're not falling in line the way we once did. And I'm not saying me and I, I'm saying we as the grand mm -hmm. we. They're, you know, whether it be women or people of color 
or, you know, the LGBTQ2S plus or young people. I mean, the, the old establishment of, uh, of how it will be because I say so and we're going to make a mint off of this uh, are very fearful of the people who are finding their voices and, and acting up. Uh, and the way to hold them at bay is to pull back on education and pull back on science and pull back on proof and, and make people disbelieve people like you and I that go out of our way to find the truth and, and share it with people. We really try hard to make sure the message is abundantly clear. And you can hear from the tenor of my voice. I'm frustrated by those who would call us fake. I don't, I don't understand part of this politically because all of us live in communities. Some communities are larger, smaller, but it doesn't matter. All of us have a teacher in the family. And so when some advocacy movement like parental rights comes along and, and, and tries to accuse our Aunt Sally or our Uncle Bill of mm. being a pedophile or a groomer or, or a brainwasher, I think many of us take that personally. Oh, yeah, we do. And, I mean, to be fair and to be clear, there are bad people in every walk of life. There are bad people who would uh, prey on vulnerable, whether it be children or people or communities uh, in, in every walk of life. Then you can have somebody bring like, what about the Boy Scout leader? Or what about the gymnastics coach? Or what about the da da da? Like, you know, you can always find an example. But I can tell you, Charles, for all the time I spend studying and educating with what I've learned to a broadcast audience, I've spent just a handful of days in, in a classroom with either children at the elementary or high school level or all the way up to when I spoke at uh, York University on, on what it's like to be a woman in, in sports media. Um, it's hard to hold the attention of a room. A teacher who does that every single day deserves a medal. You're, you're one of the originals in uh, North American media. Uh, you, and, and when you talk about sports media, you were anchoring uh, sports on, on, on Rogers Sportsnet and elsewhere. Like we're talking decades ago. I can't remember how many decades ago I first saw uh, Jody Vance, the name uh, first uh, got on my brain. I don't know how difficult it is to be a woman in sports media today, but certainly it can't be as lonely as it must have been. For Jody Vance. Luckily, I grew up a daughter, as I said, daughter of the uh, PE teacher, the head of the PE department at Britannia High School in Vancouver and an older brother. I was around boys all the time, all the time. So I didn't really feel super out of place with, you know, Darren Millard and Kevin Quinn and Mike Toth and Jamie Campbell and Brad Fay and Jim Van Horn, all of my guys that I worked with. Um, and it was 1999. So we're inching towards 25 years ago that I was I was there. I did a decade in Toronto and um, loved it, loved it. I've actually found it more difficult um, and more lonely, with the exception of my conversations with you, to be honest, um, <laughs> on on radio and being in news talk, because I would say that more so than women knowing their sports and loving it and delivering it, it in an unapologetic fashion. Um, it seems that um, a predominantly male audience doesn't necessarily appreciate a woman with very strong conviction and opinions. And I'm certainly both of those things, thanks to my mother. Yeah, I, I, I had the, the impression that, uh, and that wasn't, you know, it was based on, on reality and not just you, but many others that for the, the base of the, the talk radio audience, doesn't matter what community it's in. Uh, they reacted uh, more viscerally and sometimes 
with, with a great deal of hostility, much more uh, towards speakers who happen to be female. So it, whether it was the female, it was the, the talk show host, uh, the, the expert, the guest, whatever, there was something about the sound of a, of a, of a woman's voice uh, speaking truth to power that really got to, and I, I'm afraid to say, continues to get to some guys. It does. And that's why the, my mission um, after the last seven plus years, it took me seven years to take one of those individuals who found it to be their daily job to harass me, um, I, you know, ultimately got him into a, a court of law where he entered a guilty plea to the crown and has received a punishment for that. Uh, my goal is to have my experience not be that uh, for people, not just women, but people moving forward, doing my best to to try and, and get the government to pay enough attention that one who might be harassed can say, stop that. And if the harasser does not stop, that there are swift and meaningful consequences to be had there, a la a traffic ticket or a DUI, uh, like cost you money immediately and to be points on your license and they add up and rack up and will affect your life because what is happening right now charles to i'm going to say hundreds of thousands of women across north america if not millions is astonishing my dms opened up after all of the criminal harassment case came to light public very publicly i don't like being the news story but i was shocked and i continue to be shocked by the sheer number of people who are being harassed including MLAs here in British Columbia in uh, Eleanor Sturko and Selena Robinson, they these two, you know, adversaries in politics have come together to say, you know what, we are receiving, you know, death threats 10 times a day every day. Can we not do something about this? So, um, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of work to be done here. Uh, so you you were targeted, and of course uh, the, the the person uh, threatening you was also uh, talking about uh, your child that developed uh, private information about uh, where where you live. Uh, it's really frightening. It's the kind of stuff that movies are made of. But I'm talking about movies that are based on true stories, and so you live that true story. And for every Jody Vance that lives a true story and actually takes the bad guy to court, there are thousands of others who aren't doing that. Um, whether you're a high-profile uh, teacher, member of government, uh, media, there are a lot of sick people out there, and it doesn't do anybody any good to say, don't worry about it, it's just a handful of people. No, and it, now let's take it back to the topic off the top. Imagine that young person who had to use every fiber of their being to tell their truth and come out. Um as a member of the LGBTQ2S plus community and have a group of people scream at them that they don't belong here and that they are the problem. It's that is harassment. It, this all falls under an umbrella. I don't know where this got normalized. I don't know at what turn it became okay to say that ugliness out loud and even celebrate it. But we as a collective community of Canadians need to need to do something. We need to take action against that collective. Jody Vance, is, is it fair to say that uh, some people poo-poo, uh, dismiss and even diminish uh, the idea that our justice system is soft on crime? Is it fair to diminish uh, people who don't talk about victims who don't see uh, tough sentences? Is it uh, difficult for you now? 
uh, to hear people say the system is tough on crime and other people to push back going, no, no, that's just not right-wing rhetoric. Your own experience would tell you, I think, that ain't rhetoric. That's true. It's true. And, and I, I think that there's there's a time to cast that back uh, and there's a time to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done arguing about it because what we need to do is take some action to repair what has not kept up with how Canada has grown and how it continues to grow and how social media has impacted how we are and who we are. There was a time where we would all wait for the six o'clock news in the evening or read the newspaper each and every morning to find out what's happening. And now it's just like drinking from a fire hose and not even really necessarily knowing which is fact-based and which isn't. And that has created fear and anger and divisiveness. And we're growing in a way that there are no checks and balances on that, not to mention you know, mental health crisis and opioid addiction and the struggles of affordability and unhoused people and just how, you know, the crime rate and public safety, it's a big ball of wax that needs to be um, addressed. No more sniping back and forth and question period over semantics of stuff. Like, let's put our heads down as as a country and look at what needs to happen to secure and support citizens of the country. And that includes people like you and I, whose families didn't necessarily uh, have origin stories that began on this soil. I'm the daughter of an immigrant. And when people want to blame immigration for every ill or refugees for every, like all of that, all of that is wedge issues, sparkly thing, um, posturing and political footballs. I'd, I'd like to see adults return to the room and and focus in on on the hardline truths of what needs to be shored up, including uh, bail reform and how our system works, repeat offenders, and you know how we how we have people who murdered their 16 year old daughter and and then couple of years later, got out on a day, were not criminally responsible, got out on a day pass two years later, stabbed their friend and then got out on a day pass again and stabbed more people. Is that person getting out again? Like, what are we doing? What, what are, we, are we doing? What are we doing? I, I, I don't want to exploit this opportunity to have you uh, go over uh, details of what happened to you uh, personally, person who was harassing you and, and, and stalking you and threatening you and threatening your son. So I'm not asking for you to redo the story. I know you did a lot of media on that recently, but I, I do want to dot an I and, and cross a T by simply asking the bad guy, what was the sentence handed down by a criminal court in British Columbia? Not enough. He got a slap on a wrist. He has to stay away from me for one year. And if he does that, he will have no record of this. And if he if he harasses someone else, there won't even be a flag on his file to say what he did to me. And the years and years and years of police work and legal work that was done to bring him to a guilty plea. Uh, it's definitely a broken system. I did sit before him and listen to him plead guilty. And I got to read my victim impact statement, which was satisfying to look him in the eye and tell him that I now know that he harassed me because he wants what I have. And he can't have it because I get to be me um, and and I'm proud of me and I'm not going to be smaller to make him feel better about himself. Uh, but I am going to sue him civilly 
uh, Jesse Miller and I have uh, taken the first ever uh, case of criminal harassment to the BC Supreme Court, and we will be taking that probably decades-long journey uh, to justice of some sort um, at that level. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit more about our mutual friend and uh, someone who was more than just a friend in this for you, someone who uh, helped you more than than anybody out there? Uh, I think uh, we we owe him a little bit of time here. Uh, The name is Jesse Miller. Who is he? What does he do? And what did he do for you? He is a social media educator and online security master. He um, is Mediated Reality. You can find him on uh, on social media, on Twitter uh, in particular. He is Mediated Reality. Jesse Miller is the person who is able to do what no other um, person of power, including police and um, my employer at the time, um, in identifying who my perpetrator was. And Jesse was able to do that quite quickly. And, and Richard Oliver, who was my harasser, um, was going after Jesse as well. Also was sending death threats to, to Dr. Bonnie Henry. I no longer use the word allegedly cause he's entered a guilty plea and admitted to it. Um, and he would copy me in on those death threats to Dr. Henry, which activated, uh, the RCMP at the legislature. Jesse helped me, uh, create that report. He is also um, my um, co-filer um, in, in the BC Supreme Court case. And Jesse, he's brilliant and he should be activated by law enforcement across the country at all levels to, to show detectives how to find people. Because that's the big thing, Charles, when somebody harasses someone online, the answer to that for, for forever has been, well, they could be anywhere. Well, if that harasser was coming at somebody powerful enough, they'd be able to figure out who that was very, very quickly. It shouldn't be a multi-tiered system. If you're, if you're low enough on this tier, you don't get to find out who's coming at you daily and threatening you and your family. Jesse Miller's the type of guy that could teach people how to protect people. So Jesse Miller, uh, his uh, company, his uh, brand on, on Twitter is at mediated that's at Mediated Reality, and Bonnie Henry's name came up, and she's the chief public health officer, chief medical officer for, for British Columbia. When the COVID-19 first hit all of us, uh, she was uh, the great protector, the great uh, defender, and unfortunately, when people in the public eye try to help the public, even with something as severe as a pandemic, they come under attack, and I can't think of anyone in British Columbia uh, who was uh, more targeted by the crazies, and that crazies is is, is a nice term uh, when I compare it to the term I'm actually thinking of that I don't wish to use. But when you're 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 helping millions of people, unfortunately, you become a, a great a big target for for radical people who have very strange ideas. And Bonnie Henry would be one of those. You know, I asked Dr. Henry when I interviewed her last year um, when it started for her. When when was the first death threat? And she said the very first public health briefing she did on on COVID on COVID-19. Yeah. And Dr. Henry, by the way, for those who live in Ontario watching this, she was the one who got SARS COV-1 SARS in Toronto back into the genie's bottle. She was part of that team there. She also helped to, um, you know, manage the 
polio outbreak in Pakistan and Ebola in, in East Africa. Like this woman is a gift to science and to community. And she is resoundingly attacked daily, nonstop. I think I have it rough. <laughs> Nothing even comes close to Dr. Bonnie Henry, Jason Kindrichuk, you know, Dr. Professor Hotez in a Texas Children's Hospital. Like the, we, we need to move the meter on protecting these people. Um, you know, Jody, when I when I think about Bonnie Henry, and you, and I'm proud to say that I know the others that you mentioned as well, and Jason Kindrichuk is at University of Manitoba in my own my own backyard, as it were. But yeah. uh, when uh, we talk about Bonnie Henry and and the pandemic. And what I think about it, not just that she was a great communicator in terms of imparting important knowledge to all of us, but she had this uh, this kind of demeanor and she didn't mind telling people that one of the things that we had to do for each other as, as, as British Columbians, we had to stay calm and we needed to be kind uh, to our, our fellow British Columbians, some of whom were, were freaking out all the time about the pandemic. Be kind and be calm. Uh, I know that it, that may sound like motherhood and that may sound like like kindergarten, but it, it that's a message we needed badly. No, no question about that, Charles. And I think that the the piece of the be kind, be calm, be safe, which is how she, Dr. Henry signed off of every briefing that she offered throughout the pandemic. Um, she knew when first looking at what we were facing, the uncertainty around what this virus might mean, what it might do to our healthcare systems, what it might do to our elders, what it might do to our society. Um, you know, she looked at all that and she knew immediately how it would impact our human uh, condition and, and how, how terrifying it might be if we all knew what she knew in those early days, if we all knew what these professors and what these epidemiologists knew in the early days and, and the armchair epidemiologists who are out there now with just a whole boatload of garbage in, in their uh, self-taught uh, information, it, it, it's shocking. It's shocking that we don't celebrate these people and thank them for, for getting us through. And we continue to feel the echo effects of it. And I believe, again, pulling us back to our initial topic, the anger and the angst around you know, what, what our challenges in society just blow up so quickly. Now uh, it's all an echo effect of what we've all collectively experienced over these last now almost four years. Jody Vance star of steel and Vance and many other platforms as well. Jody, thank you for being my friend. Oh, thank you for being my doctor. You're like my therapist. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> It's um, it's it's always wonderful to, to get together in one of these days. You've got to do it again in Vancouver. Thank you so much. Thanks, Charles. Jody Vance is in Vancouver, and you are where you are. And I want to thank you for listening, for watching. And I want to thank you if you choose to follow, to subscribe, and to tell a friend to do the same. I'm Charles Adler. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson. Twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press. And every day at CryerMedia.co.